My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC 287 fight card, giving you my picks, my predictions, and my bets. And historically speaking, we absolutely crush pay-per-views. For 2023 alone, we have only had four pay-per-view events. For 2023 alone, we have given you 45 units of net profit. 45 units of net profit. We put out over 100. We got back almost 150. That is 44% net profit on pay-per-views alone in 2023. For some reason, we are pay-per-view assassins. So let's go ahead, make that money on this card. We made some money last night at UFC San Antonio. I'm up units. Jacob, a little dicey there because a whole bunch of canceled fights screwed up his bets, but I'm up units. All the fantasy stuff hit. The member parlay absolutely crushed. I gave you 41% net profit between the safety parlay and my bets alone for UFC San Antonio. Guys, the line movement tracker is up. The data is up. Everything is up now for UFC 287. We do have a week off. So go there now, access the tools, access the information, see our bets, our bets, our picks, all that stuff is up there right now. Get at it. Take a look and get ahead of a lot of this line movement because right now in this lull week, there'll be little bits of movement, but things are going to take off next week when people get back to it. The general public is going to start to move stuff. Wewantpicks.com. It is only $10 a month. It's $10 a month. Right now, this very minute, we have over eight units of bets at UFC 287. We have this 38-column spreadsheet with detailed data and information for every single fighter on the card up there ready to go. We have the line movement tracker up there, ready to go. All of this for UFC 287. There are no such things as weeks off for us or premium members. We want picks.com. It is only $10 an entire month. Access all of that right now. And if you want 50 bucks, I'll put $50 in your pocket. Hopefully you use it for premium, but I'll put 50 bucks in your pocket. All you need to do is go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. We have four sportsbook affiliate partners. Click on any one of those links, make an account, make a deposit, and I will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. They're going to pay me. I'm going to cut off a piece of that. I'm going to give it to you. And we're all going to have a little more money than we did before you use that link. Wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit. I will send you 50 bucks. I mentioned we are pay-per-view assassins. So let's jump right in and hope that this success continues and opening up the card. Actually, this fight order is going to change big time. But for now, opening up the card, we have Chris Barnett taking on Chase Sherman. This had some interesting line movement. And if you see the line movement tracker for premium members, you'll see it completely, I don't want to say flipped, but it took off. Chris Barnett doesn't look like it, but he's a very athletic and very dynamic guy. He's got some real power and he's going to manage to land strikes, even though he almost always has the reach disadvantage in his matchups. He hasn't really taken his career too seriously in the past, but since joining the UFC, he seems to have stepped things up. When he's in that cage, if he's having fun and he's done the right things in camp, he's exciting and he's getting quality wins. The issue is that, again, he hasn't taken his career too seriously and he does struggle a little bit in fights where there's pressure. He's coming off that win over Jay Collier where he was dropped, he was bruised, he was battered and beaten but he still managed to win a scramble, end up on top, and then get that TKO win. He's taking on Chase Sherman. Chase is a good boxer with solid foot movement, solid speed. He's got volume, and he doesn't stop throwing hands until the last bell, literally no matter what. Outside of that fight with Alexander Romanov, Chase got solid takedown defense. He's a high-volume guy, landing more than six significant strikes per minute. 
but he has absolutely zero head movement. His head will just it bang like a lollipop. It does not move at all, and that is why he has a negative striking differential. He's coming off that loss to Waldo Cortez, where he had his first ever takedown in the UFC, and this line steamed. I mentioned it. The line movement tracker, you can see the opening odds for every single fighter, the current odds when you're looking at it for every single fighter, and then you can see the implied probability based on the current odds, and then you can see the line movement. You're going to see that Chase Sherman opened at a minus 155 favorite, and right now, as I'm sitting here, he's a minus 275 favorite. So the line took off in his favor a little bit. I know a lot of people in our Discord, which is free, go ahead and join it, in our Discord feel like Chris should be the favorite. And I disagree, though. I think that this line is honestly probably correct. Minus 275 is really wide for a guy that has been on the struggle bus lately, but and Chase is not <laughs> the more dangerous of the two fighters, but he's tough. He's tested and he does not quit. Chris shows up overweight, out of shape. He relies solely on his athleticism. And I don't think cartwheel kicks are going to get Chris through this fight. I think Chase is the pick. He's got the chin. He's got the relentless pressure with the striking. Absolutely no bet whatsoever. Betting on this fight would be ridiculously foolish. But I do think Chase Sherman is just going to walk down Chris Barnett and he's going to spin. He's going to flip. He's going to do all the things, but ultimately be bruised, battered, and not win this fight. So Chase Sherman is the pick. This line is absurd for a couple of heavyweights that have had mediocre UFC careers so far. Then we have Sam Hughes taking on Jacqueline Amorim. And the UFC loves to use Sam Hughes to see how good these new UFC prospects can be. She just had that fight with Pierre Rodriguez, and now she's taking on another UFC debut killer. Sam Hughes is a good striker. She's big for the weight class. She's very aggressive, but also very hittable, and you'll see that negative striking differential. She has worked in wrestling over her last couple of fights with six takedowns and plenty of pressure. She's coming off that decision loss to Pierre Rodriguez, where she showed her toughness, but just kept coming forward. And she was able to win that third round after being sort of beat up the first two. Jacqueline Amorim is a very talented prospect. She is a slick grappler with blast doubles and just a myriad of submissions. She also has power in her hands and is a genuine threat everywhere. She comes forward like a buzzsaw and just cuts through everything in front of her. Her striking is a bit wide and raw, but the power is insane. And you don't see too many women at this weight class that can one-punch KO people, but Jacqueline definitely can. And Jacqueline's absolutely the pick here absolutely the pick here. She's dangerous everywhere. She's going to be a problem. Sam is tough as nails, which can be an issue for a UFC debut, but she was also just out grappled for two full rounds in her last fight. She had trouble with grapplers in the past. Jackie's going to be an easy pick for me, and this may be a rare women's underline bet. Jacqueline could touch her up on the feet. Jacqueline could get the takedowns, potentially get a submission, and she's got real power. She's a threat everywhere. All of her wins are by stoppage. But Sam Hughes is very tough. We'll see what the line is and we'll go from there. But Jacqueline is absolutely the pick in this fight. Then we have Michael Chiesa coming back after, I don't know, a year or so away. And he's taking on Jing Lang Lee. And Michael Chiesa is a grappler who's pretty one-dimensional. He's got a straightforward game plan, right? He comes forward, he looks for takedowns, and he works from there. He does not have like a really wide, versatile set of takedowns, but the few that he uses, like body locks, trips, those do work well. Once on top, he's got solid pressure, and he's going to alternate between ground and pound and submissions. He's coming off two losses in a row and a year away, but they were very different, right? In the Luke fight, he was dominating. But he got overzealous, got a little too excited, chased his submission, fell off, and then he was subbed. 
And his last loss was to Sean Brady, where he was just outworked, right? He was taken down five times, but he had a really nice rally in the third round. And he's taking on Jing Lang Lee, who's a good boxer. He's got volume, real power. He mixes in low kicks to slow you down before just sending power hands right over the top. But as solid as his striking is, he has holes in the grappling. He's not a complete fish out of the water, but his 60% takedown defense does give his opponents some sort of a path to victory if they're worried about his power. He's coming off that split decision loss to Daniel Rodriguez where a lot of people thought Jing Lang won that fight. This is a razor-thin fight. And the longer I look at this, the longer I, I break this down, I take my notes, I do my thing, the less sure I am of who's going to win this fight. Kiesa has the very clear path, right? Just grapple. But Salikov had that exact same path, and then he was knocked out. And Kiesa should be the pick here, but I'm going to go the other side. I'm going to go with Jing Lang. I think he can get back to his feet or even stop some of the takedowns and just let his hands go. Kiesa historically has had a very solid chin, but he's a year away. He's got that comfy desk analyst job. And that may have softened him up a little bit. So no bet. Absolutely no bet here. But uh, we're going to wait for those props to drop. And I guarantee I'll find some solid prop bets to hit up. And a lot of what we do here is I'm going to break down these fights. I'm going to give you the notes, give you the information, give you my opinion. Jacob's going to do the same. We talk about who we bet on, what our bets are. We've got eight units on this card already. But we also talk about the bets we're not placing UFC San Antonio was a landmine for a lot of people. I managed to be up units, up 44% because I didn't bet that much. I only bet two and a half units, but uh, came back with 44% profit. And it's because I avoided a lot of Tucker Lutz. Nowhere near Tucker Lutz. Nowhere near Tucker Lutz. This fight is sort of in that camp. Not completely, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to be on the Jing Lang side. It's a little too iffy for me. Let's wait for those props to drop and see if we can find our spot there. Then we got Gerald Mearshart taking on Joe Pfeiffer. Gerald Mearshart, 35 and 15. This guy has a tremendous career. And he's a very good grappler who is always live for a submission. But he's not great on his feet. And people are going to question his chin. I think he proved a lot of people wrong in his last couple of fights though, right? He's an incredibly talented grappler. But like so many others, he doesn't have the good offensive wrestling. And even though he averages a little over two takedowns per fight, he's got a really low 37% accuracy. But I mentioned he proved a lot of people wrong in his last couple of fights. That's because his chin has actually been holding up. A couple of fights out cold. And now all of a sudden, his chin seems to be there. And he's seen the second life in that department. He's going to need it because he's taking on Joe Pfeiffer, who is an incredibly powerful striker. He's coming off a successful run on the Dana White Contender Series. You're going to see a loss there in his first appearance, but it was an injury. He managed to break his arm in half, heal it up, and then come back to work out, get it done, and then get those two wins in a row to get the official UFC contract. His regional success was pretty similar to his Dana White Contender Series success. He hits like an absolute truck. He uses his pressure to break people. And you're not going to see much of it, but he's got nice clean takedowns and solid BJJ as well. And I mentioned Gerald got knocked out in the first round two times in 2020. Ever since then, myself and a lot of other people want to talk about how chinny he is. But honestly, his chin has been holding up. And in fact, he just submitted Bruno Silva in the third round in his last fight. And Bruno Silva is probably top 10 hardest hitters in the division. He's got to be up there. That dude hits incredibly hard. And Gerald Mearshart worked his way to the third round and then got it done there. And I think Gerald is going to lose this fight. But I don't think it's because of his chin. 
I think it's because he doesn't have the takedowns to get it where he wants to go. I think Joe is the better striker, the more powerful striker, obviously, the better wrestler. And while he's not going to be as dangerous offensively on the ground, he should be solid enough defensively. So Joe's going to be the pick here. You definitely should take some caution with the fact that this is his official UFC debut and Mearshart's losses are only to the better people in the division. If you go down the list of who he's lost to, they're, I mean, they are perennial solid fighters in the UFC. So we're going to learn a lot about Joe in this fight. I do think he wins, but I think the narrative of Gerald Mearshart has no chin, I think we can probably move past that at this point. Then we got Kelvin Gastelum taking on Chris Curtis. And Kelvin Gastelum is one of the biggest wastes of talent in UFC history. He has all the abilities to be champion and none of the work ethic. He has a troubling one and five in his last six, but the losses were mostly short notice and they were to Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker, Jack Hermanson, Darren Till before he was an alcoholic, and Israel Adesanya. Skill-wise, Gaslam is a very good wrestler. He's got power in his hands. He has an incredible chin and he's just never out of a fight. He is undersized for this division because he just seems to have stopped caring about his career a few years ago, but he's still a gamer inside the cage and he doesn't just full-on quit so he's not like a quitter in the cage but he just doesn't seem to be putting in the work before he steps into the cage and he's taking on chris curtis chris is a clean boxer pretty good takedown defense and an improving takedown offense he's got solid power in his hands and it just comes from clean short punches which just catches people he works in nice leg kicks he's going to touch up the body as well he takes his time with his shots but is always moving his body to stay out of the way or to set something up offensively. He's coming off that bounce back win over Joaquin Buckley where he was out volumed in the striking, but he found that knockout midway through the second round. And if you were going to tell me that Kelvin Gastelum who fought Izzy is the Kelvin Gastelum who's going to show up in this fight, then I would refinance my house and I would throw it all on Kevin. But we haven't seen that guy, the guy that went to war with Israel Adesanya or anything that looks like that guy in probably four years. And like every other Kelvin breakdown that we do, we're going to talk about him being the more talented guy, him having all the tools, all the ways to win, but then he just doesn't win. And I don't think this is any different. I think Chris Curtis is going to get this done. Kelvin did look okay in his fight against Jared Cannonier, but he was also dropped and his chin could be fading. He's only 31, but his chin has taken a lot of damage. It is not, not Drew Dober legendary, but this dude has taken some absolute shots, was dropped in that Cannonier fight. That could be fading. And if it is, Chris Curtis is going to find out. So Chris Curtis is going to be the pick here. The one and only thing concerning me was that loss to Jack Hermanson, but if we go back in time, that was a short notice fight on the other side of the world after a three round fight. Chris had no business taking that. I do have a half a unit money line on Chris Curtis. I got him at minus 140. The odds are much better now. You're going to get better odds on Chris Curtis right now. I don't know why people are betting on Kelvin to close that gap, but they are. I've got Chris Curtis. We've got that bet on him. Premium members, you've seen that bet for a little while and you're going to see a few more on there as well. Then we have Steve Garcia taking on Shalilan Nerdenbeek. And Steve Garcia is a solid grappler with good takedowns and decent boxing. He likes to come forward with big strikes to set up those takedowns. And his striking is solid. 
He's got nice movement, big power, decent speed. He's not afraid to mix it up, but he can overly expose himself with his aggression. He's very tough and always working forward. He's coming off that win over Chase Hooper where he hit him hard, he hit him often, and he got him out with a KO early. And he's taking on Shylon Nurdenbeek. He's a powerful grappler who likes to come forward with heavy strikes. He's got a bully style where he plots forward, throws big, pushes you against the cage, works the takedowns from there. He will transition from one takedown to another pretty well. And when he's on top, he's got solid pressure and ground and pound. He also has a high per fight takedown average of almost three but a low takedown success rate at only 32%. He's coming off that win over Derek Minner, which if you remember, canceled bets on UFC in different countries and regions for a couple of weeks before that got settled. That had nothing to do with Shailon and everything to do with his opponent, but that was his last fight. And this is going to be an interesting fight because Steve Garcia is super tough and you cannot just overlook him and count him out of a fight. But so is Shailon. So Steve Garcia is going to have the much higher pace and pressure here, but I think that's where the advantages end. Nerdin Beach should be the more powerful guy. He should have the better wrestling. And I'm just hoping he's not gun shy and doesn't fall behind on the scorecards because he does have a historically low output here. This fight is much closer than the odds because of that low volume. And this is a perfect live bet situation. If Shalilan struggles with Steve's 100% takedown defense, then I would live bet the hell out of Steve here because then Shalilan's going to lose a decision. Because his hands, while they're powerful, he's too low volume. And if he can't get Steve Garcia down, he's going to be throwing one punch at a time, not landing often, and Steve Garcia is going to stay in his face, and Steve Garcia is going to win a decision. So this is going to be an interesting one. It's definitely a live bet situation, and the other bets I'll be looking for are the Bet Online exclusive strike line bets. Because Bet Online, uh, the Fridays before fights typically, sometimes with pay per views a little earlier, but the Fridays before fights, they will drop strike lines, significant strike lines. And you can bet over or unders, or you could bet just who is going to land more significant strikes in this fight. Steve Garcia is going to be the play. Hopefully we get a mediocre line, right? Give me a minus 150, minus 170 of who's going to land more significant strikes. And I'll take Steve Garcia on that line because the numbers don't lie. He's the higher volume guy. He should land at a higher volume. Nurdenbeek has that negative striking differential, the low number offense. But I still think Nurdenbeek's going to win this fight. That's going to be the bet. If you don't have bet online now and you don't use bet online, go to weonpicks.com slash bets. Use my link. Hop in the bet online, sign up, get your free money over there, and then come back to me and I'll send you 50 bucks as a thank you. They're our favorite sports book just because of the wild variety of prop bets that they offer. Then we have Ignacio Bahamandez coming back after a year away, and he's taking on Nicholas Mata. Ignacio Bahamandez is huge for this division. He is 6-3 at lightweight. He is a striker with a surprising amount of volume and just okay power. He's got very good footwork and head movement, which protects him from power shots and solid takedown defense at 95%. His takedown offense, however, sits at a horrendous uh, 0%. And it's not 0% because he's never attempted one. It is 0% because he went 0-4 for 4 so far in his UFC career. He's coming back after a year off, but he did look fantastic in his last win over Zhu wrong where he snatched up a submission off of a takedown attempt Nicholas Mata is a very good striker he's explosive he's athletic and he moves well with his speed and diversity he's got solid takedown defense at 100% which allows him to get loose with his striking he does a very good job being patient 
but then he pours it on when he sees his opportunity. He's coming off that big knockout win over Cameron Van Camp, and this should be a really fun striking match between two guys who have zero takedowns in the UFC and probably aren't going to attempt any in this fight. Mata's going to be the harder-hitting, more powerful striker, where Baja Mendez will be the more diverse and harder-to-deal-with striker. Ignacio is landing at an insane 8.33 significant strikes per minute, and I think that's going to be the difference here. Anytime you get a striker who has been away for as long as Ignacio, it is a little nerve-wracking, but he should be able to use that volume, use his reach to get this done. Not to mention, he is a submission threat and just overall has more ways to win this fight. So Ignacio Bahamandez, pretty confident in him to get this done. I love the length. He uses it really well. And Nicholas Mata comes in a little reckless at times. And you can see that with his negative striking differential. Then we got Michelle Waterson, who's now listed at Michelle Waterson Gomez, but uh, there's not enough room on this graphic for two last names. You're going to get one. Michelle Waterson's taking on Luana Pinero, and the karate hottie, Michelle Waterson, is a talented fighter who has been a professional for an incredible 15 years. She's got tons of cage time with some of the best to ever do it. She has fought multiple champions like Rose, Carla, Joanna, and style-wise, she's a slick striker who uses kicks and distance well with wrestling in her back pocket. She has 21 takedowns in her last 14 fights, and despite the 33% takedown accuracy, she does time her shots pretty well. She's coming off that submission loss to Amanda Lamoche, where she actually looked pretty good early, landing more total and significant strikes before getting a takedown. Luana Panera is a powerful striker with solid takedowns of her own. She averages almost five takedowns per fight at 77% accuracy and lands just as many significant strikes per minute. She's a high-volume fighter with knockdowns in two of her three UFC fights. She's coming off the decision over Sam Hughes, where she won the striking, striking, striking and grappling exchanges for a very complete win. This is a hard fight to break down as well because Michelle Waterson is very good and she's got all the veteran savvy here. Luana's young, she is hungry and dangerous, but she hasn't fought anybody near as good as the karate hottie. And I mentioned earlier, Michelle Waterson was doing very well in that Lamoche fight before the submission and in her 15-year MMA career has only been outstruck a handful of times and never knocked out. The lean here is going to be Luana because of the high-paced grappling, but this fight is wide. Luana being a 2-1 to favorite is a bit wide because she should be able to get the takedowns. She's not going to outstrike Michelle, but she obviously has that big, big power, and Michelle's getting a little older. She's 37. That power might matter in this fight, but historically... It hasn't. Luana's going to be the pick. Two to one odds are a bit wide. Again, my best prop bet here is going to be the more takedowns on Luana. That'll drop very close to the fight. We'll hit it. If you're a premium member, make sure your Discord is linked so that you get the alert. Because depending when that drops, those lines move very quickly. Soon as they drop, I take a look. If I like it, I hit it. I throw it in the Discord and you will get an alert to your phone. Angelo just paced the more takedowns prop bet with Luana Panero. And then you can get it on your phone. You can tail if you want. You don't, no big deal. But make sure your Discord is linked if you're a premium member. If you're not a premium member, it's freaking $10 a month. $10 a month, you're going to get the picks, the bets, the DraftKings optimizer, the DraftKings plays, the ownership projections, FanDuel. You're going to get everything under the sun, including massive 38-column spreadsheets loaded with data so you can find your own spots. This isn't just the copy-paste game. 
We give you all the tools you will ever need to find your own spots and place your own bets. WeWantPicks.com. Click become a member. It is $10 a month, and we've got eight units of bets on the board for this card. Then we have Cynthia Calvillo, and she's taking on Lapita Gadinez. Cynthia Calvillo is pretty well-rounded, and she is much better than her four-fight losing streak. She's a good striker, good grappler. She has takedowns, and while she is very well-rounded, she's pretty slow, like physically slow for the division, and she doesn't really have power. When she does get you to the ground, she's going to soften you up with strikes and then try to sink in a submission. While she lands more than four significant strikes per minute, it is obvious that she's not comfortable in a lot of those striking exchanges. It's easy to say, oh, she's on a four-fight skid, so she sucks, but all of those losses were two very quality opponents. She's taken on Lupita Godinez, who is very big, a strong wrestler. She's got solid striking, real power, clean boxing. She's got great setups to both her wrestling and her striking. She's very big for this weight class, and she uses that size and strength well to execute her bully-style game plan. She's coming off that ridiculously disappointing loss to Angela Hill where she looked flat and she just could not get her wrestling going. And if Loopy didn't just light our money on fire in that Angela Hill fight, I'd be betting the shit out of her. I'd be all over her again. This should be This is a tailor-made fight for her, but she did. She stunk up the joint, and I cannot fully trust her. With that being said, this should be a destruction. Loopy should absolutely destroy Cynthia Calvillo. She should be able to come forward, bully the hell out of her, set a pace, and get the win. Cynthia does have a nice 75% takedown defense, which is a little worrisome, but I think her best days are behind her. I think the pressure, the style, the forwardness, forwardness of Lupita Godinez is going to push... It's going to get her done. I think she's just going to push Cynthia around, get this done. But that Angela Hill loss really put a bad taste in my mouth. So no bet here just yet. We'll see what happens as the fight gets closer, but we'll see. We'll see. Loopy's the pick. Confident pick. Then we have Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. And this is a pretty fun fight. Kevin Holland is an accurate and powerful striker who has miserable takedown defense, but solid grappling And other than the wrestling, Kevin's a killer. He's a sniper on his feet with great accuracy and range. He can also grapple really well, like raw jujitsu, and he could be a problem on the ground with his length. Meaning just because it's insanely easy to get him to the ground doesn't mean when you're there, you're actually safe. He's coming off that loss to Wonder Boy where he was just absolutely picked apart on his feet and he turned into a wrestler. Santiago Ponzinibbio is a very good striker who likes to stay out of the pocket. His striking is clean, And he is one of the few people who can manage range really well. He doesn't have a ton of raw power, but he's got great volume and he works TKOs because of that volume and his pressure. He's coming off a fantastic win over Alex Morono where he doubled the strikes and he got a TKO in the third round. And this is a fun fight to watch and a tricky fight to break down because both guys are solid strikers, but they're very different. Ponzinibbio does have a little more power than Kevin does, just raw in his hands and great range man- range re- bu- bu- range management. But Holland will be more accurate. He's going to have the better striking defense. Wonderboy was able to pick apart Holland, but I don't think Ponzinibbio is going to have that same success, especially now that we know Kevin is willing to wrestle. He now has a couple of takedowns in the UFC. And as I mentioned, he was losing the striking exchanges, recognized that and said, let me go to something different. Let me mix this up. And that's the fight IQ you want to see out of somebody. He didn't get it done in his last fight. I do think he gets it done in this fight. So Kevin Holland's going to be the pick here. 
I'm ex- we're going to look at some bets. Jacob does have some action on this fight now for premium members. So make sure you sign up. $10 a month, you'll get access to everything. And if you're a premium member, link your Discord. Our bets are up for this card. Jacob has bets on this fight. I don't just yet. Then we have Raul Rosas Jr. And he's taking on Christian Rodriguez. Raul Rosas Jr. is a non-stop grappler who is barely old enough to buy a scratcher. He has five takedowns in two fights with only 17 minutes of fight time in the cage so far. He has 14 minutes of control time. His striking definitely needs a little bit of work because he does come in a, a bit reckless. He puts himself in harm's way for no reason, but he is fast, he's athletic, and he sets an absolutely relentless grappling pace. And once he gets you down, as mentioned by the 14 minutes of control time, you really don't get back up. Christian Rodriguez is a slick striker with solid movement and pretty good speed. He bounces between 135 and 145, but his only career loss was at 145. Rodriguez does have decent takedown defense at 56%, but he has been taken down 10 times so far in the UFC. He's coming off the first round submission win over Josh Weems, where he landed some pretty big power early. This is a very simple breakdown. If you think Raul Rosas gets the takedowns, then you think he wins. Christian Rodriguez has been taken down 10 times in three fights. Not 10 times in 10 fights. 10 times in three fights in the UFC. And he's been taken down by people who are just lesser wrestlers than Raul Rosas Jr. is. So very simply... I think Rosas gets the takedowns, and I think he gets the win. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to stop Christian because even Jonathan Pierce struggled to do so on short notice, but I do think he wins, and I have a one-unit money line bet on Raul Rosas at minus 185. That has ballooned up to minus 225, so premium members, you're getting that closing line value. You saw that bet. It's been on the board for over a week now, and you're going to get much better value when we put it on the board than when it closes. That doesn't happen with every fight, but more often than not, we are ahead of that movement. So if you're not a premium member, become one now so you get access to all of our bets the very second we place them. Raul Rosas Jr., pretty confident in him to get this done, confident enough to bet on him. Then we have... The featured fight of the evening. This is a very exciting fight. Rob Font taking on Adrian Yanez in what should be a striker's delight. Rob Font is a gritty, tough, and technical striker with some pillow fists, but he does have a solid chin. He's primarily a boxer, so he doesn't really kick or wrestle often, but he doesn't need to because his hands are clean. They're fast. He works in and out of the pocket before most fighters even know what happened. If we look at his stats, he has a fantastic volume and striking differential of about six to four He's coming off that loss to Cheeto Vera where he outlanded Cheeto 273 to 176, but his face struggled with the power and so did his chin. Adrian Yanez is a fun technical striker with good striking IQ, fast hands, real power, and an incredible chin. He can be a slow starter and you'll see that if you dig into his stats. He was outstruck in the first round of two of his last three fights. He has six fights in the UFC with five fight of the night bonuses and five stoppage wins. He's coming off that first round destruction of Tony Kelly. And I love Rob Font. I've been following his career long before the UFC. We're both Northeast guys. But unfortunately, I do think he's going to lose this fight. I think he essentially is just fighting a younger, faster version of himself. And at one point, Rob had the most technical boxing in this division. But a few years and a couple of wars later, these younger guys are just sort of nipping at his heels. I think Adrian's going to beat Rob to the punch. 
and the six-year age gap is going to be pretty evident in the hand speed. Rob is tough. And this likely goes to a decision, and we all know things can get weird on the scorecards, especially if Yanez is going to start slow in the first round, as he has been. But I still think Yanez gets it done, and this is a great fight to see how good he really is. Jacob has a monster bet. I mean, not ever since that Leon bet he had. Monster is a relative term, but he has a very, very large bet on this fight. Premium members, check that out now. If you want to tail it, tail it, because that line is heading in the wrong direction of that bet. If you're not a premium member, just go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member. It's $10 a month. You'll get access to literally everything. We're adding new stuff every single day. And the UFC 287 content on there right now is crazy. Full-blown 38-column spreadsheet of data, the line movement tracker, all of our picks, all of our bets, all that stuff is up there now. And you have plenty of time to dig in, do your research, and find your spots using all of those tools. Then we have the co-main event of the evening. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think I feel a little differently about this fight than a lot of other people. We got Gilbert Burns taking on George Masvidal. Gilbert Burns is a grappler who has developed striking over time, and he's pretty good everywhere. His power is impressive, especially considering he's a 155-pounder that moved up. He's undersized for the division, but he's fast, he's powerful, and he's tough enough to hang with the elite. He dropped Usman a couple of fights ago and almost had him out and more recently, he's coming off the absolute destruction of Neil Magny, where he needed less than one round to get the takedown and the submission. And he's taking on Jorge George Masvidal, and he's incredibly well-rounded. He's a fantastic striker who has his own wrestling and a very good ground game himself. He's a no-nonsense guy. He went from like unknown journeyman to wild superstar after he punched Leon Edwards in the mouth backstage on camera. If some of you are newer here may not realize how George became the BMF and fought for that belt, all that crap. He was being interviewed backstage after his fight. Leon Edwards was talking some shit. George Masvidal looked over, saw him, ran over, just pop, up, pop. Then came back and finished the interview like nothing happened. And ever since then, he's just, he shot to stardom, street Jesus, all that stuff. He was always a good striker. But in 2017, he lost to Wonderboy. Took some time off. Changed some things about his life in 2019. And then ever since then, he just had a new sense of purpose. He looked really comfortable out there. He seemed to have just greatly improved the, the pre-2019 George, the post-2019 George are very, very different fighters. He's dangerous on his feet. He has an impressive 74% takedown defense. And if you look at his last couple of fights, the fact that he has a 74% takedown defense after fighting essentially nonstop wrestlers is very, very impressive. A lot of people are all over Gilbert here. But the betting line tells a different story. Anybody that has seen the line movement tracker, you will see that Gilbert Burns opened at minus 600 and now he's sitting at minus 450. And I'm in that camp. I'm in the, uh, should Gilbert be this big of a favorite camp? Because I think Gilbert can win, right? He's going to be the pick, but Gilbert does not have the same takedowns as Kobe or Usman. And to assume he's just going to come in here and manhandle George to the ground is a bit of a stretch. If the fight stays standing, then George is going to have a huge advantage because even though Gilbert is tough and will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with you, he's not as technical, and George could absolutely light him up with a jab. So, again, George is going to be the pick. I do think he gets it done. I think it's just going to be like pressure, takedown attempts. But we've got two guys on the wrong side of 35, and they're both fighting in George's backyard. 
I'm not touching the minus 450 on Gilbert Burns. I'm going to leave that there. Hopefully the line tightens a little bit. I would touch Gilbert Burns at... (laughs) And if this was a live stream with Jacob and I keep saying the words touch Gilbert Burns, he would have lit me up for that. Thank God he's just a lazy trash bag that's home doing nothing. Anyway, I would need the odds to be a lot less than minus 450 for me to bet on Gilbert because unlike a lot of other people, I see a path for George Masvidal. Great takedown defense, great hands, very high fight IQ. I mean... George has been in there with the best for a very long time. And you could hate the guy, but he's very talented. So is Gilbert. Gilbert's the pick. Not at minus 450. I'll keep my money. Then we have the main event of the evening. We have back-to-back pay-per-views with rematches where the longtime champion lost and is trying to get their belt back. We have Alex Pajeda defending his belt against the man he took it from, Israel Adesanya. Alex Pajeda is a very high-level kickboxer who, as we all know, has now beaten Izzy three times. Two of them were by knockout. He's got great leg kicks, great body kicks, great power. Everything is well-timed and well-distanced. He was taken down twice by Bruno Silva, twice by Andreas Michaelitis, and Izzy even took him down once, but he has maintained his 73% takedown defense. Alex Pajeda is a massive human being who is a dangerous striker and apparently an absolute nightmare for Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya doesn't need much of a breakdown. We've been watching this guy fight for years. Everybody knows who he is and what he's good at. Obviously, he's an amazing kickboxer who up until his last fight looked unbeatable at this weight class. He times his strikes really well and he's got a great counter striking with a very good chin. Don't let that last fight just tell you his chin is gone. He's got a very good chin still. He will literally roll his shoulders, bob his head while his opponents are just sort of punching at air. Almost nothing lands on him. Even now, after losing the title, he only gets hit with 2.8 significant strikes per minute. His takedown defense is solid at 77%, but Alex Pajeda did go one-for-one takedown attempts on Izzy, and that was a surprising twist because Izzy tried to wrestle Alex as well, and he went one-for-four, but he did have a solid six minutes of control time. I mentioned back-to-back pay-per-views where the longtime champion is trying to win their belt back. Usman just lost the close fight to Leon, which now means that in the history of the UFC, when the champion lost the belt and got an immediate rematch, the overall record is 4-13. and 13. So only four times in history has the champion won their belt back. 13 times they did not. And... It's going to be tricky because Pajeda has beaten Izzy three times, stopped him twice, but Izzy has also had Pajeda on ice skates in two of those fights. And to ignore that would be doing them a disservice. In their last matchup, Izzy was up 3-1 to one on the scorecards before being stopped in the fifth. And I mentioned on the call-in show, if you guys watch the call-in shows on Thursday, I mentioned that our web guy, we have you know, we own picks is not just me and Jacob, there's five of us that work here. And one guy manages the website, builds that all out for premium members and all that. Him and I, you know, we talk all the time, obviously. And he's very much on the Pajeda side. His assessment is that Izzy in the last fight fought a perfect fight, the most perfect fight you could ask him to fight. And he still lost to Alex. He was perfect for 22 minutes of a 25 minute fight. And if that doesn't get it done, nothing will. This is Josh's take. And I like that take. I totally understand it, but I still think Izzy wins this fight. I think he will 
break the odds here, right? Four and 13 is not very good. I think we're going to be five and 13 after this fight. I just think he got too comfortable in their last fight. And I think he was just cruising to a win. He was well on his way. I think he got comfortable, started to showcase a little bit, and he got caught up in it. The dude just needed to survive for a little bit longer, and he would have kept the belt. And unlike Usman, Izzy is young. He still have all the energy. He's the more experienced fighter in this matchup. He's the better overall well-rounded mixed martial artist in this matchup. And again, he was beating Alex at Alex's best thing for most of that last fight. He got caught up in an exchange. People say it ended early. I don't think so. I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to take fewer risks. And I think he's going to win a ridiculously boring fight where he is sticking and moving, staying on the outside. But if Alex Bejeda comes in here and murders Izzy, I don't think we'd be very surprised. I am on the Izzy side. I think he's going to get it done. I don't think we're looking at a washed up, over the hill aging champ that we should talk about if he's retiring or not. I think we're looking at a guy that got caught up in the wrong exchange with a couple minutes before defending his belt. So Israel Adesanya is going to be the pick. I think he's going to get it done in this matchup and get his belt back. Guys, we crush pay-per-views. We crush pay-per-views. This year, 2023, there have been four pay-per-views. I've given you 45 units of net profit. That's a 44% net profit margin. In 2023 alone, we've absolutely been crushing. Become a premium member. We have the metrics. We have the analytics. We have the data. It's not just copy-paste bets. We have so many tools and so many things to help you find your spots, identify your bets, identify your fantasy plays, and do what you need to do. All of that is up live right now, ready to go at wewantpicks.com. Become a member. It's only $10 a month. $10 a month. You're going to get everything under the sun. And don't forget, if you want 50 bucks, go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our betting partners using our link, and I will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. Guys, let me know in the comments what you think. Join the free Discord. Do all the things. There's no such thing as a week off.